friends, wherever you are, good morning. Uh, my name is, in case you don't know me, my name is Dave Hershey, and I am the children's ministry director here at Koinos. And this morning I have the privilege of wrapping up our series we've been going through, which has appropriately been titled Disruptions. It has, as I've been listening to the sermons over the past four weeks from Tim and Andrew, it's made sense to me, and as I've thought about it, as I prepared for this morning, it's made sense to talk about disruptions uh, at the end of 2020, because this year has been the wildest, most disruptive year I think we've ever experienced as those of us who are alive. Now, I suspect there may be some of you out there who maybe some other year was more disruptive than 2020, and if that is the case for you, please know that I am praying for you, and I am willing to talk if you need to. But for, I think, a lot of us, and across the globe, uh, we've experienced this disruption together this year. And I don't need to go into details. We've lived it. You know what's, what it's all about. But I think with the news of a COVID vaccine being distributed, a lot of us are starting to wonder how soon we are going to get back to normal. I know my kids have asked me on a somewhat regular basis, and you've probably asked yourself too, when will life, when will normal life return? Will it be in the spring? Next summer, right? Definitely by the start of the school year. Well, I want to offer an uncomfortable question as I begin this morning, a question that maybe we don't want to hear. But what if life never gets back to what we remember as normal? We've been talking about Mary and her experiences with the birth of Jesus and everything that went around that. And think about it. When did life return to normal for, for Mary? I mean, eight days after Jesus' birth, if you continue reading in Luke chapter 2, uh, Jesus is taken to the temple by Mary and Joseph uh, to perform the required Jewish rituals they did there. And while they were at the temple, a man named Simeon, who had been waiting for years, he had been told by God that he would not die before he witnessed uh, the, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior coming. He sees Jesus, and he knows this is the one he's been waiting for. And he goes over and he prophesies and prays over the baby Jesus. I'm going to read from Luke 2, starting in verse 28. It says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you have now dismissed your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon praises God for allowing him to see this child, but then he gives a word to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's some disruption right there. That's a disruptive thing to say to a new mother. And shortly after this, if you were to chronologically look at the story, jump over to the Gospel of Matthew, one of the other biographies of Jesus, and we have this story where Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus have to flee to Egypt, 
King Herod, who rules in Jerusalem, gets news that this baby, this future ruler has been born, and he doesn't want to give up his power. So he sends his soldiers into Bethlehem to kill all the babies under two years old. Joseph has a dream that he's told this is about to happen, and all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus are refugees fleeing from political violence, traveling to Egypt. That's certainly a disruption. Well, Mary and Joseph and and Jesus are able to eventually return home after Herod dies. They settle in Nazareth. But if we were to trace Mary's story, whenever she pops up through the four gospel stories of Jesus, we're always reminded that her life never got back to anything resembling normal. There's a story in Luke 2, another one you may be familiar with, when Jesus was about 12 years old. The, the family goes down to Jerusalem for a religious pilgrimage. And in this big city, they eventually get separated. And Mary and Joseph can't find Jesus. When they finally find him, he is in the temple debating and discussing and questioning the religious leaders. And he's kind of winning the arguments, the debates. Another reminder that Mary had no ordinary son. Her expectations were constantly being disrupted. Later on, when the adult Jesus begins his preaching and teaching ministry, we read in Luke 8 that his mother and his his brothers come to him and they want to kind of reel him in. They don't fully understand or get what he's doing. So in Luke 8, verses 19 to 21, I'm going to read this. It says, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. I mean, that may sound nice to some of us. Probably didn't sound nice to Mary. Jesus essentially is disowning his, his family. He's saying that his true family are those who are his disciples, his followers, the ones that believe what he is teaching. And he is separated from his family. Mary's life, again, is disrupted. But it appears that Mary perseveres through all of this because when we get to the very end of Jesus' earthly life and he is crucified, uh, the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, shows us that Mary was there at her son's crucifixion. And while he's on the cross, and I'm not going to read this one, but if you want to, you can read it. It's in John 19. He gives his mother, Mary, into the care of one of his disciples. And then if we went to another book of the Bible, the book of Acts, which is, uh, it picks up the story after Jesus' resurrection, and it tells the story of the early community of Jesus' followers as they begin to grow and expand throughout the Roman Empire. But in the beginning of the book of Acts, there's a tiny group of followers of Jesus kind of huddled in Jerusalem waiting to figure out what's going to happen next. Acts 1.14, the disciples joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Mary, who had been, who had heard her son say that her, his true family are those who follow him, eventually, we don't know when or how precisely, but Mary eventually embraced the continuous disruptions that her son Jesus was bringing into the world and learned to live as his disciple. I think if we look at Mary's life 
from the very beginning when the angel first appears to her to the very end here, at least that we know of in the scriptures where she's with the early Christians, Mary's experience does not tell us why disruptions come into our lives. I mean, if you've ever thought about the story, and maybe in the last couple of weeks as we've been going through Mary's story, maybe you've wondered, I've wondered, did Mary ever just question why God had chosen her? Did she ever imagine how her life might have been different if God had chosen someone else and what her life may have turned out looking like? Had she not been asked to live with this disruption? And there's no specific answer for why God chose Mary. And in the same way, there's no answer for why disruptions come into our lives. We can't know why, but we, I can, I think, can know who God is and what God is doing in the midst of all these disruptions. It reminds me of uh, the classic Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, where if you know the story, the wizard Gandalf has uh, told the whole um, scenario to Frodo, the small hobbit who has this ring that kind of symbolizes and personifies all evil in the world. And Frodo is realizing that he has to go on this quest to destroy the ring. And he's understanding that there's going to be a lot of like bad guys who are going to be attacking him and it's not going to be easy. And there comes a point in the story when Frodo is lamenting, why did this have to happen in my time? I wish I had lived in a simpler time. Why did the ring come to me? Why was I given this quest? And Gandalf says that all who live to see such times ask the same questions. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to do, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. We don't necessarily know why these things happen, why these disruptions happen, but I believe Mary's experience can tell us how to follow Jesus in the midst of continuous disruption. Mary is a beautiful and wonderful example of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And on some level, like Mary, we are each as individuals asked if we will allow God to enter our lives in the person of Jesus. I found this quote just yesterday um, by a German monk named Angelus Silicius. I thought it was kind of profound, so I'll share it with you. Christ could be born a thousand times in Bethlehem, but all is in vain until he is born in me. The truth is, disruptions will come into our lives regardless of the choices we make. Whether our current societal, global COVID disruption goes away sooner or later or never, or whatever disruptions we're individually, personally facing ends or not, there's always going to be another disruption and another one after that and then the one after that. It's always, it's life. But if we allow Christ, Jesus, to be born in our life, I believe we will receive strength for the journey living through the chaos. Living as a disciple of Jesus, as I believe Mary learned to, will open our eyes to the truth that God is always working in the midst of this chaos and this brokenness to create beauty and goodness out of it. I may go so far as to say that disruptions are not just 
normal life, but they are also the crucible in which people are enabled to grow. Disruptions can be good for us because this is where we are pushed out of our comfort to remember, to remember who God is and what God has done, to remember that God is the creator and sustainer of all that is, and that God is with us in the midst of all the chaos and the disruption. We remember who we are, that God has blessed us, and that we have a purpose, that we are blessed so we can bless others. We are loved so we can spread the love to others. So what do we do then as we seek to live in the midst of whatever disruptions we're facing? And how do we grow in that? Well, the first one, and I've kind of already alluded to both of these. I think the first thing we do is we seek to remember who God is and what God has done. We remember that God has always, from the beginning, worked to bring order out of chaos. We remember all the stories that look so bleak in the middle but the ending reveals that God was always there. Remember the young woman whose life was disrupted being asked to carry this miracle child. But through this child, the entire world is blessed. We remember this child, Jesus, growing up and suffering this horrific, excruciating death on the cross. But through the death comes resurrection. Through this death on the cross, God's love is fully revealed. Remembering who God is reminds us that these disruptions are not the end of the story. They're not the whole story. Because suffering, pandemics, death, without God in the picture, these are just brute facts of the natural world. They just are. But with God in the picture, who is the beginning and the end, who is working good out of the chaos, we understand that these things are not the end, that there is more to come. We understand that there is goodness to come out of the chaos. We understand that God is not just a God who stays far away and says, good luck, hope you get through it. But God enters into the disruption with us. This is what the Christmas story really is all about. Uh, Kenneth Tanner, who is a I actually don't know, theologian, pastor, it doesn't matter. Uh, he wrote, um, recently I saw this, this really good post he wrote in a, on, on social media, and I want to share a little bit of it with you. He says, The one who is timeless and omnipotent and changeless makes himself vulnerable and contingent to all the natural forces he has breathed into existence as he lays in a feed box dependent on Mary and Joseph for nourishment and protection as he somehow, as God, holds together the, whole, the wood of that manger that cradles him in Bethlehem. The one who is the origin of all things and who holds all things in existence, galactic to microscopic, is the carpenter from Nazareth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion now sets beams and crafts tables with his stepfather, sweeps sawdust from his forearms. The God of the cosmos does not stay far apart from us in, the, in our disruptions, in our sufferings, but comes into this world with us. And when we're suffering through these things, I believe God is right there with us. And this story we've been telling ourselves this week of Christmas, this month of Advent, it's as true and relevant now as it will be in June. 
it's as true and relevant now in a pandemic as it will be when there's no disruption or when there's some other crazy thing happens in our lives or in our society. I think the truth we need to remember is that God is with us in the midst of whatever chaos the world throws at us. And as we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the God revealed in Jesus, we cannot just eke out survival in the midst of these disruptions, but we can flourish in the midst of these disruptions. But I also believe to have this faith, this hope, this trust in God, we need to put a little bit of work into it on our end. So my question for us to think about here is, as we move into 2021, what must you do to get to know God more deeply? There's a few helpful, time-tested things. This isn't reinventing the wheel. There's things that people have done for centuries, if not millennium, being involved in church community, whatever that looks like, engaging with other people who are on the journey with you, prayer, spiritual disciplines, serving others, lots of things that probably should be a part of it. I want to throw out one that I think is, is central. And it's, again, not reinventing the wheel here, not surprising. I think a very basic thing we can all commit to do in 2021 is reading the Bible. Because the Bible is the story of who God is and what God has done. It's the story that tells us this, about this God who is with us in the chaos. So reading the Bible, this would look different for everybody perhaps. If you've never uh, read the Bible before and that just sounds like a scary thing, like, oh, that book's really thick and it, whatever, uh, maybe just make a commitment to read the Gospels. I know Pastor Andrew's put, been putting together some really helpful tools to help people who've never read the Bible before to work through the four Gospels of, of Jesus. If you've kind of dipped your toe in and you've read that part of the Bible and you want to maybe bite off a bigger chunk, I know that you can talk to Pastor Tim, Pastor Andrew, you can talk to me if you want. Uh, find some friends to read it with. It doesn't really matter how you do it. I just think that a good commitment for 2021 would be reading the Bible so we can understand more of who God is and how God's story intersects with our story. And then a second point, along with remembering who God is, is remembering that our very purpose is to pass the love we have received on to others. In that passage I mentioned earlier um, in Luke 2, Simeon said to Mary that the baby Jesus would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And those words there he shares points us to this theme that goes back to the very beginning of the scripture story. And that theme is that God has always loved the entire creation, the entire world. Way back in the beginning of Genesis, God called this man named Abraham and told Abraham to move his family out of their comfort, and he really disrupted Abraham's life to move him to some other place. But this was all with the goal that through Abraham's family, blessing and love would overflow to the entire of creation. But if you know the story, you know that the constant temptation for God's people has always been to turn away from looking outward and to look inward. We see over and over again that the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, they appear happy with the gifts they've received. They have God's temple, they have God's law, and they want to sort of almost build up walls and separate themselves from what they see as a dangerous and scary world out there. Maybe we could say they desire a comfortable, normal life. They want things to just stay normal. They don't want the disruptions. They want to turn inward and seek a life with no disruption, but what happens when they do that 
is that they end up losing their mission and purpose. Rather than sharing the blessing that they have received with others, they want to keep it for them. They want to protect it for themselves. And this is just as true for us as followers of Jesus today as it was for them thousands of years ago. I think there's a deep truth here, and that is that normal life, that so-called normal life that we kind of want to go back to, normal life can actually be kind of harmful for a lot of us. So-called normal life can hypnotize us into not noticing injustices in our society or not noticing the brokenness and sin inside each of our own hearts. When we're living a comfortable, normal life with no disruptions, it's tempting to trick ourselves into thinking that everyone else is doing good too. It's easier when our lives are normal and comfortable to be blinded to the brokenness of the world. And sometimes it takes disruption to shake us out of that comfortable life and to remind us that our purpose is to work for the good of others. Our purpose has always been to work for the good of others. If we've been blessed, we've been blessed so we can bless others. If we've received good, we've received good so we can work for the good of others. This is what those early Christians did. That little tiny group that Mary was a part of in the beginning of the book of Acts, they start to go out into the world and bring goodness and blessing and joy to all those around them. And throughout the first centuries of the existence of, the, of Christianity, of the early Christian movement, Christians developed this reputation for being people who uniquely have a care for other people. Uh, when a plague decimated the Roman Empire about 200 years after the time of Jesus, uh, a bishop named Dionysius, who was in Alexandria in Egypt, he wrote about how the Christians in that empire, how they just cared for people during this pandemic. He wrote, Most of our own brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. The point here is simply that these ancient early Christians had a reputation to everybody around of loving others. They had a reputation for loving each other, like within the church community, but they had a reputation for loving strangers, for loving enemies, for loving anybody they came across. They had a reputation for feeding and caring for those who were hungry, for caring for widows and orphans, helping those who were sick, all sorts of things like this. And if we come down to our day, I don't think Christians necessarily have that positive and good reputation in our society. At the same time, we can't change the reputation that Christians have. So to some degree, maybe we shouldn't even necessarily worry about the big picture reputation that Christians have. That's bigger than any of us can solve in a day or a year, anything like that. Reputations are built over time, and they kind of are what they are. But we can examine, I think, our own lives and our own reputations, our own way of interacting with those around us. So the question I want to offer here is, as we move into 2021, what acts can you perform to work for the good and the blessing of those in your sphere of influence in your community 
What can you do, whether it's as an individual or as a family, as a group of people, to show love to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to anyone else who is around you? So as we move into 2021 pretty soon, I would just pray and hope that we can remember who God is and what God is doing. That we can remember that God is with us in all the disruptions and that God has always been with us in these disruptions. That the birth of Jesus reveals to us that God did not stay far off but entered right in the midst of the chaos of existence. God is working to bring order and goodness out of this chaos. God is with us and God is still active. And God's purpose for us is what it has always been, that we would work for the good of others around us. The reality of whatever disruptions we are facing doesn't change this. If anything, disruptions may wake us up from our own complacency and remind us that this is our purpose. So whatever disruptions may come in 2021 or 22, 23, and so on, personal, societal, our mission remains the same. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We received a gift, received a gift to pass it on. So we're going to sing a last song here. And I'm going to, I think those of those two questions I asked are going to be on the screen. that You can look at what must you do? What can you do? What practices can you do in 2021 to get to know God more deeply? And what uh, acts can you perform for the good of those around you? I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to sing that last song. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, loving us. Thank you for being with us in whatever chaos and disruption that life has thrown at us. I pray that you give us eyes to see, because sometimes it's hard to see that you are with us, and just remind us that you love us and that you're always with us no matter how bleak things may appear. I also pray that you would give us the ability and the courage to demonstrate love to anybody we come in contact with. as we live in the midst of this crazy world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.